0: So I think we're, we're ready to go. Um, let me begin uh, by uh, thanking um, Mrs. Parhad for that very kind introduction and uh, Professor Abbas Milani and the Hamid and Christina Moghadam program in Iranian Studies at Stanford uh, for inviting me. When I was here almost to the week last year, speaking about my book, A Modern Contagion and Epidemic Diseases in Iran in the 19th and 20th centuries, I did not imagine that I would be back in your midst talking about a contemporary pandemic, especially so soon. When I was here last, I ended my talk with the closing arguments of my book, namely, and I quote, a century of intellectual secularization and hygiene, biomedicine, and associated public health practices had effectively ended the age of major contagions in Iran. In hindsight, I realized that the statement was overly triumphant. I went on to say that the Qajar era's socio-cultural vulnerabilities to cholera and barriers to prevention and treatment continue to affect the epidemiology of diseases with more complex social and political determinants. And by this, I mean non-communicable diseases. And I honed down on Iran's narcotics blight as an example. This down the road elicited some pushback from the structuralist slash post-colonial strata in our field of Iranian studies, but I stand behind my conclusion even more so today as Iran has in starker and more remarkable ways shown the continuity of these vulnerabilities during a Corona-19 pandemic. Before I launch into the crux of my talk, I will just give you A few of these highlights. Iran's significant trade with China, the starting point of COVID-19, made the country vulnerable to the outbreak. Just as Iran's shared border and trade with British India, the endemic home of pandemic cholera, made it vulnerable to regular invasions by cholera over a century ago. Iran's coronavirus efforts today face some of the same type of public health barriers linked with corruption, rigid ideologies, and turf wars in the government and security apparatus that hindered Tehran's ability to stop the spread of cholera in the late 19th and early 20th centuries. The conspiratorial views on COVID-19, most prominently the view held by Ayatollah Ali Khamenei and some revolutionary guards commanders that the US has manufactured the coronavirus as a biogenetic weapon against Iranians, and the variety of faith cures and folk remedies, including bootleg alcohol, which has led to 400 deaths in the country, are reminiscent of the unscientific views on water purity and therapeutics, which worsened the cholera pandemics of that past era. Just as diplomatic missteps with European imperial powers worsened its vulnerability to cholera, Iran's current decades old hostility towards the United States and Tehran's regional entanglements has deprived Iran of critical funds, equipment, and most importantly, innovative diagnostics, therapeutics, and prophylactic knowledge as they are being developed, that would help the country battle COVID-19, both now and potentially in the foreseeable future. COVID-19 is an infectious disease caused by the SARS-CoV-2 single-stranded RNA virus. It's believed to have a zoonotic or animal-borne origin and has close genetic similarities to the bat coronavirus, suggesting that it emerged or made the leap from human uh, through a bat-borne vector. The virus infects the body, entering healthy cells, Once inside, the coronavirus hijacks the healthy cells, makes copies of itself, and kills the cells spreading through the body. COVID-19 typically spreads via droplets from an infected person's cough, sneeze, or breath. It can be in the air or on a surface or fomite that one touches before touching one's eyes, nose, or mouth. That gives the virus passage to the mucous membranes of a of the host's throat. Within, within 14 days, one's immune system may respond with early symptoms like a sore throat, a fever, or a dry cough. The virus moves down the respiratory tract. That's the airway that includes your mouth, nose, throat, and lungs. For most people, the symptoms end with a cough and a fever, but for some, the infection gets more severe. About five to eight days after the symptoms begin, they can experience shortness of breath, or as we call it in medical terms, dyspnea. Acute and acute respiratory distress syndrome, ARDS, can begin a few days after that. Many people who get ARDS need help breathing from a machine called a ventilator ventilator still gives me a certain degree of post-traumatic stress, hearing the beeping on a ventilator from my days working in an intensive care unit. Nevertheless, it is a necessary piece of equipment to extend life in people who struggle with acute respiratory distress syndrome or severe pneumonia. As fluids collect in the lungs, the bloodstream carries less oxygen to vital organs, which can cause the kidneys, lungs and liver to shut down and stop working, aka organ failure, and ultimately cause the individual to expire. COVID-19 was first identified in December 2019 in Wuhan, the capital of China's Hubei province, and has since spread globally, resulting in the ongoing pandemic. As of April 15, 2020, more than 2 million cases have been reported across 210 countries and territories, resulting over 130,000 deaths. It should be noted that more than 500,000 people have recovered from the infection. The initial spread of the disease had a lot in common with the 14th century bubonic plague or black death. The bubonic plague pandemic of the 14th century is also thought to have originated in China's Hubei province, with bacteria contracted from marmots, a type of land dwelling rodent. The disease made its way westward via merchants and caravans on the Silk Road reaching Iran after several years, where it killed Abu Said Bahadur Khan, the country's overlord. In 1347, it entered Europe via the Italian port of Genoa and irrevocably changed the character of Europe, leading it into the early modern period. So today, it should be of no surprise that both Iran and Italy have emerged as waypoints for the pandemic, since both countries are major players in China's Belt and Road Initiative, also known as the 21st Century Silk Road. As an aside, I have to note that Iran's Pasteur Institute was instrumental in the 50s in shattering the long-held belief, particularly in the United States, that rats were the sole vectors of bubonic plague, and identifying marmots in Kurdistan as carriers of bubonic plague under the leadership of Marcel Baltazar, which you see up here in the picture, and Manoucher Karagoslu. There are indications that coronavirus was present in Iran as, late as, as early as late January, uh, but patient zero is a matter of debate. However, it's generally agreed upon that Qom was the epicenter of the outbreak from China. The official announcement of the pandemic's landfall came on February 19th, when the Iranian Health Ministry announced that two elderly people in Qom had died from the coronavirus. On February 23rd, Iran's health minister, which you see in this picture here, Saeed Namaki, blamed an Iranian merchant from Qom who had frequently traveled between Iran and China for introducing the disease into the country. The following mar- month, on March 25th, Ali Reza Raisi, Iran's deputy health minister, claimed that COVID-19 was brought to Iran by Chinese nationals who studied and worked in Qom. Many of them studied at Al-Mustafa University, a state-funded seminary, with many international students. Raisi added that the Iranian students returning to Gilan from Wuhan, China, may have created a second epicenter of the pandemic, which spread independently from the outbreak in Home. The pandemic in Iran spread quickly. By February 24th, Iran's health ministry officially reported 61 cases of coronavirus, resulting in 12 deaths. Cases were recorded in Iraq, Babol, Esfahan, Qom, Rasht, and Tehran. The ratio of cases to deaths was unusually high in Iran. Globally, the death rate was about 2%. and At one point in Iran, death rates were as high as 25%, although the official mortality rate fluctuated daily and most likely was the high rate was linked to undertesting and underdiagnosis of coronavirus in iran by april 15 iran reported over 76000 cases and 4700 deaths a death rate of approximately 6.3% Today, the mortality rate due to the virus stands officially at about 78,000 confirmed cases and 5,000 deaths, the highest statistics in the Middle East. However, the officially reported numbers are probably significantly lower than the actual morbidity and mortality rates in the country. Even the advisory report by the research arm of the Iranian parliament, which came out two days ago, estimates that the real number of coronavirus cases in the country may be up to 10 times higher than what is reported by the health ministry, while the real number of deaths based on them is almost 9,000 individuals. The high numbers is something that my colleagues in the epidemiological community have pointed out in statistical models uh, coming out of Virginia Tech, MIT, and University of South Wales. But frankly, you don't need to be an epidemiologist to assess this. Let's look at the numbers that that were blasted out by Iran's health ministry uh, uh, that that, that showed the numbers uh, between February 19th and April 4th. Uh, this was texted out by the health ministry on April 5th. Number of fatalities due to coronavirus in yellow here, 3,452. Most of the deaths were occurring in Tehran, Gilan province, Mazandaran province, Khurasan-e-Razavi, Qom, and Golestan. Now, number of individuals who were tested positive for coronavirus, 55,746. I want you to pay attention to this number, up in green, circled in red, okay? Number of individuals with acute respiratory syndrome. This is a nonspecific diagnosis that can include coronavirus-caused acute respiratory syndrome. 178,000 people with acute respiratory syndrome. In any one month at the height of the diagnosis of acute respiratory symptom in in Iran last year, which occurred in June, at most, you saw six individuals with this diagnosis out of 100,000, which means about 4,800 individuals. So um, even taking the highest number from last year, you know, it's more than likely that 170,000 of these individuals were probably coronavirus cases. A combination of the unwillingness to test these acute respiratory syndrome cases and the fact that between 15 to 20% of the COVID-19 cases are asymptomatic means that Iran is only reporting the tip of the iceberg when it comes to coronavirus cases in the country. Part of the problem with getting accurate official coronavirus statistics has been Iran's unwillingness to test cases unless they are severe. This has not been because of test kit limitation. Iran received a consignment of 500,000 coronavirus diagnostic kits from China early on. This is an addition to thousands of kits from the WHO. And added to that, Iran's Pasteur Institute is now producing molecular diagnostic kits that have been approved by the WHO with an accuracy of 90% at about 80,000 kits a week. So much so that Iran has offered to export diagnostic kits to neighboring countries. Nevertheless, testing is not being done inadequate numbers to have a good picture of the actual coronavirus cases in the country. Now, the testing shortfall can either be due to laboratory and staff limitation, which the government itself has not uh, claimed to have been the case, or the more likely effort to continue to minimize the number and impact of the disease on the country. So how did Iran become one of the most affected countries in the region, if not the world, uh, by March?
1: A combination of economic,
0: political, and ideological motives are responsible for the rapid and large-scale COVID-19 outbreak in Iran. The pandemic's advent was predictable. The pandemic's advent was predictable due to China's status as Iran's principal commercial partner. So the disease would have inevitably made landfall in Iran, but the growth curve of disease would not have been as steep and as widespread had stronger precautionary measures been taken early on. This is agreed upon by most experts. In the first week of the outbreak, in the first week when the outbreak was officially announced in Iran, Iran's officials warned against overreacting to the risks of COVID-19, which they claim was stabilized and under control. I quote, We've managed to reduce the problem to the minimum, said Deputy Health Minister Iraj Hayuchi, referring to COVID-19 at a press conference where he himself appeared visibly ill and later admitted to having the coronavirus. If this was any other situation, might seem comical, but sadly, this was
1: a real case. China connection is
0: very important in this. The Iranian government's inadequate precautionary measures to restrict and monitor travelers from China ensured that the disease would make landfall in Iran much more quickly than any other country in the Middle East. When much of the world began to suspend air travel with China in late January, Iran's Mahan Air continued to make over 40 trips to China after February 1st. Iran's battered economy likely contributed to Tehran's mismanagement of the crisis. Everything from not limiting its intercourse with its main trading partner, China, to inadequate preparation for the eventuality of the outbreak, which advisors to the health ministry in January had warned the government about domestically produced face mask and personal protective equipments, PPEs in the country. Uh, There was a shortage of domestically produced face masks and PPEs PPEs in the country as late as mid-February. This was due to Tehran's unwillingness to restrict exports of PPEs to China. Politics in all likelihood, also played a role in minimizing the leadership's public health response. When incidents of the coronavirus began to mushroom, Iranian authorities admittingly suppressed news of it in order to encourage high voter turnout to legitimize the country's parliamentary elections with its historically narrow slate of candidates. Even Supreme Leader Ali Khamenei had billed voting as a religious duty. Religious ideology also played a role in the spread of the disease. When the holy city of Qom, a popular destination for Shiite pilgrims throughout Iran and the Middle East was identified as the epicenter of Iran's outbreak in mid-February, Iranian authorities refused to close the city's shrines until March 14th. The health ministry did request closing Khom's fatem masume shrine, but religious officials refused. A surrogate of Supreme Leader Ali Khamenei in the city declared that any attempt to restrict access to the shrine promoted a nefarious plot by the United States to make the holy city appear unsafe. Hundreds of pilgrims and visitors congregated in close proximity to one another at home's religious sites on a daily basis, providing further opportunity for the virus to spread. Some Iranian government supporters even filmed themselves and their children licking the shrines in defiance, potentially rendering themselves walking sources and spreaders of the coronavirus. While the coronavirus is new to Iran, the country's response to the pandemic is arrestingly familiar. In 1904, a pandemic wave of cholera reached Iran on the heels of Shiite pilgrims from Iraq. Iran's first attempts to stop the contagion by restricting pilgrimages to the holy shrines. But the most esteemed grand Ayatollah, Muhammad Hassan Mameghani, resisted such efforts and accused officials of furthering the aim of Western infidels to prevent Shiite faithful from fulfilling their religious duties. This sounds familiar, doesn't it? Much like the current Rouhani government, the weakened Prime Minister Ali Asghar Khan Amino Sultan and his cabinet lacked the power to oppose the religious establishment, and so allowed the caravans of infected pilgrims to bypass government quarantines and further disseminate the disease. Then, as now, the government feared a general panic. It concealed the cholera outbreak from the country's population and even from the reigning monarch, Muzaffar Shah, until the growing mortality made it impossible to hide. Keeping the spread of cholera secret and doing little to contain it served to magnify the demographic and economic shock of the illness at the time. The cholera pandemic touched off double-digit inflation, which in turn sparked widespread protests calling for government reform, leading to the constitutional revolution which established a parliamentary system and brought about a short pause in Iran's long history of absolutism. Coming back to the present, despite his role in the coronavirus crisis, Ayatollah Khamenei used the Rouhani government's mismanagement of the outbreak in its early weeks and the unsubstantiated claim that the virus was a biogenetic weapon produced by Washington to declare a state of emergency in Iran last month, placing the military headed by Major General Mohammad Bagheri, the chairman of the Armed Forces General Staff, answerable only to him and not the president in control of Iran's coronavirus fight. While Khamenei maintained that the substantial manpower, organizational capabilities and biomedical capabilities of the Iranian armed forces would carry through a more effective prevention and control effort, the military was also charged with a repressive political agenda to clamp down on protests, arrest people critical of the regime's coronavirus response, propaganda and religious indoctrination through the distribution of the supreme leaders, selected prayers against the coronavirus. This gave Khamenei and his allies in the general staff and Islamic Republic Revolutionary Guards Corps unprecedented course of power over the Iranian population and extra constitutional
1: control of the government.
0: Last week, Ayatollah Khamenei likened the coronavirus, and I quote, to a modern contagion. He has probably not read my book. I don't think it's been translated into Farsi yet. So he is unaware that he partly owes his position to the 1889-1893 outbreaks of pandemic cholera in the country. Religious leaders during that period exploited the government's shortfalls, the Hajar government's shortfalls against cholera to achieve their ideological goals, establishing the foundation of Shiite political militancy that led to Iran's contemporary system of clerical rule. Much like Khamenei's accusation that the United States has caused the coronavirus pandemic, his 19th century counterparts blamed cholera, undefined retribution for Iranian commerce with faithless Westerners at a time when European inroads into the Iranian market increasingly threatened the clerics' financial and political power base in the country. Locally, for example, the Najafi brothers of Esfahan, who were businessmen clerics, used the pandemic to attack minority-owned rival businesses, and their main political and economic rival in Esfahan, Prince Masoud Mirza Zelo Sultan, son of i-din Shah and governor of the city. On a national level, Shiite militancy in response to the pandemic led to the tobacco protest of 1891, which caused the repeal of the mono- of a monopoly granted to an English company for the manufacture and sale of tobacco in Iran. The general discontent with living conditions in the aftermath of the 1889-1890 cholera epidemic helped clerics mobilize the Iranian population against the government and their rivals. For this reason, the initial accusation against Nasser din Shah, the reigning monarch, leading up to the tobacco protest focused not so much on the concession itself, but on the pitiful state of the country following the cholera outbreak. Fear helped the clerics mobilize the population against Western interests in Iran through boycotts, protests, and mass violence against their businesses. In the short term, they obtained political concessions from the government and a momentary respite from their financial decline. In the long term, however, the disturbances harmed Iran's overall economy and political stability, holding back necessary investments in the country's sanitary infrastructure, which extended its vulnerability to
1: cholera and other pandemic diseases.
0: The extra constitutional authority that Khamenei and his loyalists have gained from their takeover of the public health sector during the COVID-19 pandemic comes at a price for the Iranian people. The ongoing power struggle between the civilian and military authorities has deprived Iran of a cohesive coronavirus policy. Despite official statements to the contrary, Iran remains as one of the worst affected countries in the region and possibly in the world. And the peak of the outbreak is still weeks if not months away based on projections and statements by some Iranian officials. For Iran's healthcare sector to cope, it is imperative that Iran rapidly obtains innovative approaches to testing, antimicrobial treatment, and vaccination prophylaxis as they are developed. However, the expulsion of international humani- of the international humanitarian group Doctors Without Borders and a refusal of the supreme leader to accept any medical assistance from the United States shows how technical medical assistance from the West has become another victim of the securitization of the coronavirus fight in Iran. Iran's history can be instructive in terms of lessons for the realignment of the coronavirus, uh, coronavirus fight in Iran. In the 19th and early 20th century, Iran's leaders would often conceal outbreaks of cholera and plague from the Iranian people and international community to protect their personal, political, and economic interests. During the 1904 pandemic, for example, when Iran's ruling monarch, Muzaffar din Shah, eventually learnt of the cholera outbreak, he attempted to set out secretly for Europe before word of the disease got out to the rest of the population. Abandoning his subjects and his harem, to the coming cholera pandemic. But the culture of disease prevention and transparency in Iran began to change with its formal membership in the International Office of Public Health, a precursor to the World Health Organization in 1908. With international technical assistance, including the supply of equipment and scientific know-how and a more stable government, Iran developed a more accountable public health and disease reporting system in the decades that followed. Iran's progress became apparent when a new El Tor strain of pandemic cholera entered the country in 1965. Soon after the contagion crossed into Iran, The Ministry of Public Health conveyed the bacteriological profile of the outbreak to the WHO, which immediately sent an expert to help establish a central reference laboratory in Tehran to type and confirm El Tor cases as they emerged in the country. So good testing. Like the coronavirus, the El Tor microbe was particularly virulent and difficult to contain due to its hardiness and high rates of asymptomatic infection that did not result in illness, but could still transmit and spread the disease. To halt its spread, the Iranian government rapidly mobilized its sizable public health workforce to quarantine affected areas and close its borders to countries that risked reintroducing the disease. Infected individuals were identified through laboratory analysis and treated with a powerful broad range antibiotic supplied by the United States. Shiite pilgrims and others who were determined to be high risk at high risk of being infected were similarly obliged to undergo prophylactic treatment. The US Agency for International Development and the Peace Corps were key players in building Iran's public health workforce and infrastructure at that time. As a matter of fact, sitting Congresswoman Donna Shalala of Florida was one of the many Americans working on educational and infrastructural public health projects as a Peace Corps volunteer in southern Iran from 1962 to 1964. The French Pasteur Institute, which continues to have a campus on Iran, helped build the country's vaccine production capabilities. This allowed the Iranian government to rapidly develop a new vaccine against the 1965 Tor pandemic that was two times more, of, more potent than its American counterpart and institute a compulsory national vaccination campaign that did not spare high officials or members of the royal family. These interventions largely limited the cholera outbreak to Iran's Eastern half and after several months, extinguished the epidemic altogether, earning the Iranian government accolades from the WHO for its effective interventions. Iran's northern superpower industrialized neighbor the Soviet Union did not fare as well. Its public health policy was marked by secrecy, militarization of response, and politics. This sounds familiar, I'm sure. This allowed the El Tor cholera pandemic to remain in Soviet territory and slowly crawl crawl westward through its territory, through the Russian heartland in the uh, ensuing five years, reaching all the way west to Crimea. the story of cholera has important implications for Iran's coronavirus fight. Iran needs to depoliticize and demilitarize its coronavirus fight if it hopes to bend the curve. This will be essential in getting the public to trust the government, a key aspect of any successful public health intervention which is nearly impossible if you have a politicized security apparatus in charge. It will, be, it will also be essential in bringing the public and private sectors together to solve the coronavirus problem as, Korea, as South Korea has successfully done in its response to the outbreak on a national scale. This will also allow Iran to better respond on a national scale rather than leaving local authorities or uh, in this case, provincial military authorities and Basij to address the coronavirus outbreak piecemeal. Iran needs to re-engage with the West particularly as innovations in testing, antimicrobials, and vaccinations are most likely going to emerge from Europe and the United States. Dual citizens in the United States and Europe are some of the best physicians and scientists in the world. They are also natural ambassadors in this aforementioned engagement. The Iranian government needs to stop putting them in prison and driving them away, just as they have with our speakers, the Aloi brothers, who will be speaking at this forum next week, who left the country as a result of trumped up charges against them. Within Iran, we have some of the best physicians and the most advanced hospitals in the region. Iran hosts thousands of medical tourists every year. It's already played an important role in creating some of the innovative treatments, such as the use of plasma from COVID survivors to treat the sick. The government needs to support the healthcare workers and allow them to do their job, free of fear and politics. Iran has the capability of defeating this pandemic as it has defeated pandemics before. Thank you.